Hi there and welcome to Doxadeo Bloemfontein North. Thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoy the message. So you can open your Bible to uh, 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18. Which is uh, going to be the main passage for today or just one verse. And as you turn there, let me just ask you a question. Do you know what sea glass is? Just turn to the person next to you and ask them, do you know what sea glass is? Come on, sea glass. Ever heard of it? So you actually get these beaches around the world that they call sea glass beaches. And in Hermanus, there's actually, in our own country, there's this one beach. That's a photo of a beach in Hermanus. It's called the sea glass beach, and it's beautiful. All these pretty colors of these very bright colored rocks on this beach. But if you inspect it closer, uh, you'll see what it looks like. There's another photo of what it looks like from close up. Basically, what sea glass is, is these looks like rocks. It's broken pieces of glass, rubbish, and, you know, cutlery, different colors that has found its way into the ocean. And over a period of time, they say it takes about 20 to 40 years because of the tides of the ocean, because of friction and time, these broken pieces of glass with its sharp edges actually becomes this beautiful picture. It gets formed and actually transformed into this you know, beautiful little thing that looks like a rock. I know it's quite disappointing to look at that and realize it's a broken piece of glass, right? Um, but what I love about this picture is that is what your journey with God looks like. We all enter the kingdom of God like broken pieces of glass with our sharp edges that can really cut people. We come into the kingdom with all of our selfishness, all of our greed, our anger, all of those things that don't look like Christ at all. It looks like a broken piece of glass and it hurts people around us. That's where we start. But then over a process, and this is how God works, the tides of life, so the friction in your life, together with time and the Spirit of God working, He is forming you into the same image and likeness of Himself, of Jesus. And so He is shaping you into something truly beautiful. And uh, I think this is so important that we understand that God does not necessarily cause the bad seasons in your life, the challenging seasons in your life. He doesn't necessarily cause it, but He's an opportunist. <laughs> He will take every opportunity to form you into the image of Christ. Someone once said that the Holy Spirit, even though He's gentle, He's aggressively busy forming you into the same image and likeness of Jesus. And that is why God will never let a challenging season in your life go by without seeing the opportunity to form you into the image and likeness of Jesus. And so that's this process. So just like sea glass takes 20 to 40 years, it takes a lifetime to become more and more like Christ. And that process, in theological terms, we call it sanctification. It's a process, an ongoing process that started on the day when you put your faith in Christ Jesus. So you became, you were in Christ, you are justified freely, you are the righteousness of Christ in a moment, not a process. You get saved when you put your faith in Jesus. That is a moment, not a process. But from that moment, for the rest of your life, you are on a journey of becoming and maturing into the same image and likeness of Jesus. So I've got a little table. It's a little bit, 
the, the writing is a bit small, but we spoke about this in week one already, and we'll speak about it today and tomorrow. Uh, but just to explain this, uh, when we think about salvation, we often think of salvation as, you know, not going to hell, going to heaven one day. It's your ticket to heaven. Salvation is not less than that. It is that, 100%, but it's far more than that. Salvation comes to us in three time frames. Firstly, we have been saved. We are being saved, the process, and we will be saved on the day of glory. And so, firstly, we have been saved. This past tense reference, if you put your faith in Jesus, it is past tense reference for you. It is something that is settled, and uh, that is what, our, what we refer to as our justification or your new identity. You are a new creation if you are in Christ Jesus. That's 2 Corinthians 5.17. So your identity has changed. You don't work for that. You don't get that because you stopped sinning. You don't get it because you do good works. No, no, the Bible says to us in Romans 3 verse 28, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So you don't get saved because you stopped sinning. You get saved because you put your faith in Jesus. That's your justification, your new identity. But now as a child of God, you are on a process of maturing into the same image and likeness of, of Christ. So just like a baby is born and the baby grows up, and becomes a man or a woman. We are born, but we grow up toward maturity. Is That point that we're maturing toward is Jesus Christ himself. That is what we are growing up toward. The difference, however, and we'll, we're going to speak about that in a moment, is that a baby just needs to eat and sleep, and they, they keep on growing. There's not much they do about it, right? It's very, they're passive in the process oftentimes. But as Christians, you can be old, but still be very immature in your Christianity. You can be young, but still be very mature in your walk with Christ. We can receive this work. So, although it is a work from God, He is the one shaping us, there's also a part that we play in responding and opening up ourselves to the work that God is doing in our lives. And that's got nothing to do with your salvation and the fact that you've been justified but it's becoming more and more like Jesus. So the word we use there is sanctification. The other word we use is maturing. Another word we can use is, is integrity. There's no longer a gap between who you believe you are and who you truly are in your actions, etc. And then the third work of salvation, we'll speak about that next week, is, um, is glorification. That is eternity. When we spend eternity with Jesus, but we will also be like Him. So in the first instance, your spirit came alive. Your spirit came alive. In the second instance, God is busy healing. Salvation, another word for salvation is healing. God is busy healing. He has healed you in terms of your spirit. But now he's busy healing your soul. Your soul is catching up to your spirit. What does that mean? Your soul includes the way, the thoughts that you think. Your soul includes um, your emotions. You know those emotions of anger? All the emotions of, of peace and love and joy and all of those things. Your emotions are catching up to your new identity. That's the process of sanctification. But also, it's your behavior. Your soul includes your behavior, the way you behave. And so that, your behavior is catching up to your new identity. We like saying, putting it this way. You are becoming more and more of what you already are. <laughs> You're already a child of God. Now you are in this process of becoming more and more the child of God that you are. And so the soul is catching up to the spirit. And one day at the end of your life, when you stand face to face with Jesus, and that's what we believe about glorification, 
that the healing in your spirit will be completed, the healing of your soul will be completed, but then also you will receive a new body. The body will be healed also. You see, just because I'm a Christian and I'm growing in Christ does not mean that I will not lose my hair. Okay? You'll go bald if you have my genes, my particular genes. But that's what I believe about the resurrection is that then it will be spirit, soul, and body completely healed. And that is what salvation is. Now, why is this important? Imagine just what I explained to you now. Imagine you don't understand that and then you go read the Bible. It will be confusing at times because sometimes you will read scriptures that is referring to your righteousness, your justification. But sometimes as we are reading now in 1 John, um, uh, the book of 1 John, it speaks a lot about your works. The Bible speaks about works. It just says you don't get saved by works, but you get saved for works. You don't do good works and you don't stop sinning in order to become a child of God. But because you're a child of God, we do the works of Christ. And we, we lay down, you know, the things that are not from Christ, which is sin. And those scriptures that speaks about the things, our behavior, you will get confused if you read that and you think that the author is referring to your righteousness. You get that. Then you will start doubting whether you're a child of God at all. And then other times it speaks about eternity and you're going to look at yourself and see, but why am I not perfect? Am I then not a child of God? No, no, it's speaking about what's to come. And so if you don't have this theological understanding or as a basis that really clarifies the New Testament, um, and some difficult scriptures might just make more sense if you have this understanding of how salvation comes to us. But if you don't, if you mix this up, there are two dangers. On the one hand, the one danger can be to fall into this trap of, of a hyper-grace kind of understanding where your behavior does not at all speak to your faith. And there's this massive integrity gap. And so then it's like, if this salvation is so great, why don't I see any evidence in your life? You know, we might fall into that trap because the Bible is speaking us, calling us to be healed, even in the way that we approach our marriage and the way we approach our jobs and the way we parent our children in everything. It includes everything. The other trap that you might fall into is every time that you mess up, every time you sin, you start thinking, oh dear, I'm not a child of God anymore. Because you don't understand your justification, you're going to doubt your identity the whole time. You're going to doubt whether you are a child of God the whole time. We see this so often in church. Someone messes up, they fall back into an old pattern or something, and then we don't see them for six months because they feel so guilty. But if you understand that sometimes my work aligning myself has got nothing to do with the fact that I am a child of God, then you understand when I sin, and 1 John 1 explains to us that you will sin. If you say that you do not sin, you are a liar and the truth is not in you. But when we sin, we turn to Jesus immediately. Someone who understands that, that me becoming more like Christ has got nothing to do with my identity, or it's not dependent on, on, on that, will immediately repent. And they will see repentance as a gift to not fall back into shame and guilt, but to turn to Jesus right away whenever our lives are not aligned with who God has called us to be. So 2 Corinthians 3, 
speaks about this idea of transformation. And it says, and we all, with unveiled face. Now, unveiled face is an interesting term. So, unveiled face is basically referring, just before this in uh, 2 Corinthians 3, welcome to go read that. It speaks about this idea that Moses had the privilege of speaking to God face to face. There, there was nothing separating them, right? So, you know, when a lady gets married, she comes to the front with a veil covering her face. And then at the front, when they get married, they look to one another and the veil gets taken back. And they see one another face to face. It's like there's nothing separating us face to face. And so now it's explaining to us, reminding us of the gospel that you have been saved. Your justification. It's reminding, that's the first part of the, this uh, scripture. It's saying with unveiled face, because you are in Jesus, the veil has been taken away. There's no more separation between you and God. You get to look at God face to face. And now because of that, as you look to God face to face, it then goes on. And so this is just in terms of tense. This, this is past tense, right? This has already happened in the past. But now in the present continuous tense, this process, just like the process of sea glass that we are in, goes on. Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed. Being is present continuous every day of your life. It has started. It will continue until the day that you die. We are being transformed into the same image, not just to become a better person. He is busy transforming you into the same image from one degree of, of His Son, from one degree of glory to another. It's like this oven. It's like turned on. It's on 50 degrees. 60 degrees, 70 degrees, and it, and it keeps on going, making you more and more like Christ. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So let me just ask you this question. Are you changing? Are you busy changing? Or are you the same woman or the same man than what you were five years ago? You see, this, this journey that we're on with God, uh, becoming more and more like Him, it has already started... And it's going toward a point. But we can participate in this. And, and the question that I want to challenge you with this this morning is, are you the same person than what you were five years ago? Or are you a little bit more like Jesus? Maybe it's just in some areas. Like, you know, five years ago I was really stingy. Now I'm just a, a little bit stingy. You know, I'm just a little bit more like Christ. I was angry the whole time. Now, now I'm, I'm, I might say sometimes I'm kind. Or like, I was really impatient, now I'm less impatient than what I was five years ago. Are you physically becoming more and more like Christ? So, Henry Nowen, he says the following, he says, If you follow Christ, your life is moving toward a point, and that point is Jesus. And he actually challenges us that, that, that we should be deliberate to set up our lives in such a way to let go of the things that will not help and to take up the things that will help, that will move our lives toward that point that is Jesus. Imagine this bottle is Jesus. Your life should be aimed, focused, living toward that point, becoming more like Him. Uh, Billy Graham says the following. He says, I am not what I ought to be, but at least I'm not what I was. Is that something you can say? I'm not, what I, I'm not where I ought to be, but at least I'm not where I, where I was. I'm more like Christ now than what I was a year ago. 
that's the goal. That's what we're invited to. And so this idea of being transformed, um, Galatians 4 verse 19, which is a cool verse, it says, my little children, Paul writing to the church, he says, for I'm again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. So, so Paul is saying, listen, I'm working extremely hard. And the reason I'm working hard for you, writing to his congregation, is so that Christ is formed in you. Friends, that's what we're doing at church. We're preaching the good news. We're giving the hope of what's to come. But, but also, as disciples, we're helping one another to become more and more like Christ, that Christ is formed in us. In, in 2 Corinthians 3, it, it, it says that word, that we are being transformed, just like the sea glass picture. We are transformed. And now Paul's writing about until Christ is formed in you. It's, it's this picture of, of who you are and who Christ is, is so infused with one another that when I poke you, the response is Christ-like. Because Christ has been so infused with who you are, I'm not really sure whether this is you or this is Christ responding because it's so lovely. You know, when someone cuts you off in traffic, and it's not a fake kind of, you know, I just pretend to be like Jesus. That's very important because that's the next verse I want to I wanna read uh, to us. It's not that fake, you know, just try to be like Jesus. It's, it's that you are genuinely so close to Jesus that he rubs off on you that it becomes who you are. Because it is who you are, you, your new identity in Christ. That, that it's authentically the new you. You just don't get that angry. It's not you don't sometimes pretend not to be angry. You just got good at pretending then. No, no. Transformation means he's physically changing who you are. That the old man or the old lady that we're going to be talking to, you know, one day, is a different person to the one that we see now. That's the dream. And I want to become the kindest old man that you will ever meet. I don't want to become a grump, <laughs> you know. Love. I want that to just flow out of me. I want to love like Jesus loves. Joy. I want to be happy. The other day I thought, I, I just honest with myself, I thought like, I don't laugh that much. Like, I'm not very happy. I'm not like just, you know, like for myself. I just think around other people also. Like, just, I'm, I think I can be more present when someone tells a joke. Really just enjoy it. And just don't worry what people think about you if you've got a funny laugh, you know. Just to, to shed this, the old self. That's the picture. You are shedding the old self and what happens then if you shed the old self is you're not insecure anymore. You worry less about what other people think about you. And you know what the people is that we like the most? Are the people that are not concerned about themselves. We love spending time with those people. Because they're like Jesus. That's the dream. That, that's the call. We are called into this process of becoming more like Him. So how does it happen? 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, it says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. Here's, here's the truth. You become what you behold. If you want Jesus to rub off on you, you need to fix your attention on him and you need to behold him. And as you behold him, he will rub off on you. You know two people that spend a lot of time together, after a while they start catching one another's jokes the whole time. They understand, they get synced. It's the same thing. When you spend lots of time with Jesus, he will rub off on you. 
You cannot walk hand in hand with holiness itself and not change. You cannot walk hand in hand with holiness and stay the same. It's impossible. If you're staying the same, it's because you're not beholding. It's as simple as that. And it's not a thing of, of works. It's an invitation to relationship. It's like just, what should I do to be more like you, Jesus? I just come hang out with me. Hang out with me long enough and see what I'll do. It's really as simple as that. It's a beautiful invitation of relationship. So, so here's the question. How much of this does God do and how much do you do? Even though it's very simple, all you need to do is beholding. You still decide what you behold. You will become what you behold, but here's the good news. You choose what you behold. And so Dallas Willard, he says there's an active part to our discipleship and a passive part. The passive part of this road of maturing is that God is busy working, right? It's God working. But you are receiving, and that's the active part. You can open yourself. You can be active, I think maybe in, in two ways. The first way you can be active in this journey is whenever the Holy Spirit convicts you, respond. If He convicts you of sin, respond. Turn to Him immediately. Say, you're right, this is wrong. I don't want this in my life. Uh, and confess it. Uh, whenever the Spirit convicts you to do something, respond to it. D don't be too proud. Get out of the way. And re be responsive. Make it easy for God to speak to you because then you just respond immediately. That's the way that we are active in this journey. He's the one initiating, showing, but we respond. Another way to think of being active is being deliberate about what you behold and what you don't behold. You need to decide, who do you want to become like? Because you will become like something and someone. That's guaranteed. None of us are that original that nothing around us influences us. We all are influenced. But you can decide, will I become like the world or will I become like Jesus? You choose. The one that you behold the most is the one that you're going to become like more aggressively. And so three ways in which we behold and it forms us. The first way is the information that we take in. The information you take in your head, it forms your thinking and that forms your behavior. Uh, we are as we think. That, that is just the truth. So, so the question is or th this idea of the information. I love this word actually. It informs you. Informs you. Goes into your mind, but it forms you physically. It informs you the way that you live. For better or for worse. So if there's maybe some, I don't know, whether it be series or movies or just the amount of content you watch, um, does that inform closeness with Jesus or not? Uh, when you look at social media, does that, the kind of information that's going to make you more like Jesus or not? That's the filter, whether you decide, can I watch it or not? Well, it's Jesus. He's the point that I want to live toward to. So is it taking me toward that, yes or no? If it's a yes, then let's go. If it's a no, let's leave it. What about the information, the articles that you read? It's good to stay informed with news, but sometimes it might be good to put a limit on the amount of bad news you read because it will inform the way that you think. What's the information that you're allowing into your mind? And then also to be deliberate and say, well, maybe there's a good book that I want to read. Maybe more scripture, time informing me so that it forms me, inform me. Reading scripture, reading a book, listening to sermons, being in conversation with friends, 
that speak about things that draw you closer to Christ. Romans 12 verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The second thing that forms you is not only your thoughts or the information you take in, but your habits. We form habits, but then our habits form us. You are what you do also, not only what you think. You are also what you do. And so maybe there are certain habits in your life that you get convicted about this morning saying, well, those habits are not really helping me at all. In fact, it's making me like the world, not like Jesus. I want to let go of those habits. Or maybe there are some habits I need to put in place. Sometimes they're connected. You need to let go of certain habits in order to take up new habits. So, for instance, if I want to put the habit in place of spending time in Scripture and in prayer in the mornings, maybe that's your plan, then you will have to let go of the habit of gaming until 1 o'clock in the morning. And so, I'm not speaking about whether gaming is evil or not. I'm just saying, if you devote a lot of time to that, that's not going to help you. In fact, it's going to make the good habits even more difficult or impossible. Or watching, you know, stories and movies or whatever until 12 o'clock at night, then you're going to struggle to wake up at 5 to spend time with God. So my point is here, it's not, you know, things to do and not do. But I know that you want to live toward the point of Jesus because otherwise you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. And so therefore, let's just take a step back and see what are the things that will take me there in terms of my habits. And so it's the information, it's the habits, and then thirdly, you are the sum total of the relationships that you have. Your friendships, they will form you for better or for worse. None of us are that original. They will form us for better or for worse. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 33 says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Proverbs 27 verse 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. So be deliberate in terms of the conversations that you allow to influence your life. I want to end off with a story, uh, but before I do that, just, just to, it's just so important uh, not to mix these things up. The conviction we get from the Holy Spirit that we respond to. We don't do good things, and we don't stop sinning in order to become a child of God. It's because we are children of God that we do the kinds of things that Jesus did. That we live like He lived. If we follow Him, we live like He lived. It's because we are children of God, not in order to become children of God. So let me close off with um, just a quick story. So there's a man by the na name Michael Eaton, and uh, he's a theologian. He lived in Kenya, Nairobi for most of his life. But he was born British, and he had a ministry in Germany and in India, South Africa, all around the world. And um, a later part of his life, he stayed in Kenya, and he... he, he died a few years ago, um, and so this guy was born in England. He was a British citizen at birth, the poor guy, and then he did ministry. At one point, he was actually living in South Africa, uh, ministering still in the apartheid time. Uh, he actually had a multicultural church, and then he moved to Kenya, and when he was living from Kenya, he, he would travel all over the world, and every time he goes home, he would have to queue with all of the visitors to Kenya. But he actually started, you know, living there. And he realized this is not good because every time he has to stand in the long queue instead of going to the other queue where the Kenyan citizens could go, you know, because they're getting home. They don't have to stand in the same queue because, you know, over there, they're like, hey, you're back. You show them your Kenyan passport, 
you get to come in, and they're welcome. The others, they want to know, why are you here? What are you doing? And then they have to check your passport, etc. And he thought, you know, definitely. He wants to change his citizenship because he is planning on living in Kenya for the rest of his life. And so Michael Eaton then applied for citizenship. And his letter of, or his application landed on the desk of one minister. Um, he got it that far. And it was just lying on the desk for a long period of time, for months and months and months. It's like, it's like our um, application for our entrance. It's, it's laying on the desk of, of one government official, and he just needs to sign off, and then we're there, right? But that happened to Michael Eaton. So his, his application for citizenship was on the desk. Nothing happened. And one day he spoke to someone in his church and said, no, he's been struggling with this. And this guy said, well, I know that minister. I'm going to sort it out for you. Then that other guy went on behalf of Michael. He goes to the minister. He says, listen, there's this application that's been lying here. Uh, on your desk. Won't you just sign it off? I know this guy. He's a good guy. He leads a church right here in Nairobi. He's a good guy. And then the minister, it's like, because you know him, approved, signs off on the document, and in a moment, in an instance, just like that, Michael Eaton becomes a Kenyan citizen. He gets a Kenyan passport. Why? Because the king has said approved. One word from the king and you are a child of God. One word from the king that says over your life, justified, righteous, approved. In a moment, you are a child of God. And this is a beautiful picture of the gospel. This week we wrote about the fact that Jesus, in 1 John 2, we write, read about the fact that Jesus is our advocate. You see, so it's like we're going to Jesus saying, Jesus, I know I've got no chance, but I put my faith in you, Jesus. Then Jesus goes to the king and he says, Abel's with me, I know him. And then the father says, well, if he's with you, he's with me. Approved. Our faith for our salvation is on Jesus. He's the one that goes on our behalf. And in a moment, your citizenship gets changed. You are no longer a stranger, you are a citizen of heaven. That's the good news of the gospel. But the story goes on. You know Michael Eaton. Then he started living in Kenya as a Kenyan citizen. But he still had some British habits. I mean, he still drank tea. Like the Brits do. And you know the Kenyans, they love coffee. They export coffee all over the world. So, but Michael Eaton, although he was Kenyan, he was still a tea drinker, not a coffee drinker. Not only that, um, he didn't speak the language. Swahili is the Kenyan language, he still spoke his British English. He didn't have the language. So, and then he looked at himself and he just saw his red neck. He didn't feel very Kenyan, did he? But then he would look at his passport and see, oh no, I am a Kenyan. It's settled. Police can ask me, I'll show them. Friends, that's the same thing with you and me. When we put our faith in Jesus, we don't always feel different, do we? We still have old habits, don't we? We still struggle with those old habits. And sometimes you want to run away and say, I'm not a citizen of heaven. No, no, just look at your passport, please. It is written. You are justified by faith in Jesus. Not because of the fact that you drink coffee or you can speak Swahili. That's the gospel. But now, many years later, if you would visit Michael Eaton, later on in life, he spoke fluent Swahili, 
He even preached in Swahili. He let go of some of his bad habits of drinking tea. And he was a coffee drinker. His skin was still bright, but a little bit stronger than what it was. The neck became a little slightly brown, not, not, not like that pink red, you know. And so there was still lots of work to be done. But oh man, he's become so much more Kenyan than what he was on the first day. Friends, that's the walk that we walk with Jesus. If you look at your own life, my question is, are you growing? Are you becoming more and more like Jesus? Let's all stand together. Just maybe as a way of response, um, I don't want you to miss this this morning. Uh, when you walk out, is to be deliberate. So I want to ask you a question. Is there anything in your life that you, I don't want to say have to, I want to say that you want to let go of? Because it's, it's pulling you away from Jesus. It's pulling you toward the world and not Jesus. And I know that you love Jesus. Is there anything in your life that you need to let go of this morning? Another word for that is it's sin. And that's why Jesus wants to address sin. It's not because, you know, he can't deal with sin. He's shown that he can deal with sin and sinful people. He loves them very much. But it's for you because he wants to heal you. He wants you to have a fuller life, to reign in life like Yaku said. Is there anything in your life that you know this is drawing my attention away from the point that my life is supposed to be going toward? I want to encourage you to lay it off. One of the best ways to do it is you confess it to, to God, but also you confess it to someone else. Bring it into the light. Say, listen, I've been struggling with this. This is not good for me. It might, not, might not be the obvious sin thing, but it's like, listen, I gain too much. I want someone to hold me accountable. I want to focus on Jesus. Or secondly, maybe there's something you want to take up. New habits, commitment to new relationships. inform yourself to draw you to Jesus. Now if that's you, I want to pray for us and maybe just as a sign, you're welcome to do this with me, just to sort of raise your hand as a sign of surrender, saying Jesus, have my all. I know that I'm saved, I know I'm a child of God if I've put my faith in you, but I just want to say this morning that you get all of the rooms in my heart. I don't want to withhold anything from you. I want to go all in. I want to follow Jesus with my life, not only with my faith, because my behavior, my thoughts, even my friendships, everything, God, I'm all in on you. Lord Jesus, we pray this prayer of surrender to you, Jesus. You are the, the one that, that creates, and you're also the one that transforms. And come and transform us. God, we are like clay in your hands. And God, this morning, willingly, we want to say, God, take it all. Take it all you to be in charge of every area of our lives. We surrender to you, Jesus. Amen. Just maybe before we get going in worship, um, if, if you are one of those that put up your hands at the beginning of the service, uh, that's a special moment, but I don't want us to miss that, right? So afterwards, um, 
uh, I want to invite you to come and speak to one of the leaders. You're welcome to just come and speak to me. I'd just like to hear, you know, what is God saying to you? Um, and uh, just walk the road with you. Uh, and also, even this morning, if you maybe right now after the service, you experience that, I think I understand the gospel now for the first time. And uh, it's a thing of understanding your place, your identity in God. Also, just come and speak to me. Uh, we'd love, love to walk the road of discipleship with you as a community, get you connected. And that's why I don't want you to have a moment and just leave, but to rather respond to the moment that God has initiated today by speaking to one of us this evening. Thank you for tuning in. If you would like to know more about us, you can visit our website or follow us on social media at Doxadeo Bloemfontein North. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. See you next time.